That's very brave of you, Matt, making that prediction this morning. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm CJ Cooper, Student Ministries Director here at Life Community Church. And it's my pleasure to get to read uh, our first scripture reading for the new series going through Luke this morning. But before we read the scripture, I just want to remind you, we have a lot of exciting events coming up for uh, students in my area, which is uh, our younger students, uh, all ages of students from elementary school all the way up to our high schoolers. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up this summer. Some of you are probably like, what summer? Uh, I know it's sneaking up, which means signups for events that are happening in the summer are already going to be starting soon, uh, including things like summer camp for our middle schoolers, summer events for our high schoolers. We even are taking our elementary school students to Camp Good News this summer. So we're excited about all those things and more in VBS. If you are interested in those things, if you or someone that you love and know is interested in those events, I would love to touch base with you after the service and share more information. We've been announcing some of our events as things come to fruition and crystallize. We have events, uh, dates on the calendar, and some of them uh, we just have more general info. But if you are interested in those things, I would love to speak to you after the service. We'd love to get information to you on the things that we have coming up this summer so that we can be ministering to students and growing in our faith. So we're excited about those. Again, if you'd like information, talk to me after the service. With that, we're going to jump into Luke, Luke chapter 1, the beginning of this series here together this morning. And we're going to be reading from Mary's Song of Praise in chapter 1, as well as Zechariah's Prophecy. So Mary's Song of Praise, Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. From behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. And this morning we're also going to read Zechariah's prophecy, which is verse 67 through the end of chapter 1. Starting in 67, it says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to, pe to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because in the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace." 
And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God as we gather and, and jump into Luke. Some of you can't wait for what's going to unfold this afternoon, but I want to remind you of another significant date. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So if you didn't know that, you got distracted on today, tomorrow, you have a few hours left to make sure tomorrow's not a failure, okay? So guys, take notice if you need to get the last more, one more run to the store for some dip or last minute things, make sure you grab some flowers or something if you haven't done that already. As we look at Luke jumping into our next series, there's an amazing connection between last week as we wrapped up Ephesians and talked about spiritual warfare and, and putting on the whole armor of God and, and where we're at today and why we gather again on Sunday like we did last Sunday and why we're here, why we're not at our favorite breakfast place or getting our favorite cup of coffee. I know the coffee here is, is free, but we all have our different flavors and, and preferences, but we're here because we obey Christ and we love Christ. We want to gather as adopted sons and daughters into his families gathering together to be a disciple and to make disciples and to obediently love Christ and love the things he loves and hate the things that he hates. And as Jesus continues to be the most hated, criminalized, and attacked. You, you can talk freely about anything else and, and anyone else in religion-wise, any idea or concept, but the moment you mention Jesus, as he says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, no one comes to the Father but through me, and, and, and wants everyone to know him, but yet makes these claims, he's the one that is ostracized and attacks, and anyone that stands up for Jesus incurs the same. And we see this, this last week as we gather today, it's, it's, a, it's a unique time where the backdrop of Ephesians and Luke is, is similar to ours where there's political unrest, there's, there's protests, there's people come up with theories and militarizing and, and trying to attack and overthrow the government. And they're hoping for this overthrow ruler, this king to come and, and set the record straight for, for the, the nation Israel. And we see all over our world with Canada and the U.S. protests and, and threats. We see the war in Russia continue to escalate, and then Russia's saying, hey, guys, stop in the West. We're fine. We're just having a cup of tea over here. Everything's fine. And, and China and Russia are teaming up, and there's this mess that continues to be heavier and darker, and yet Paul and Luke, instead of going after the political and the physical, they go after where the true battle lies, in, in the Christ who is the victor and who's come to set the captives free. And we're here again as these believers, as, as we see Luke's writing to a person, Theophilus. Paul was writing to a church in need of clarity. And how do we have peace? How do we live out in this life, in this day? How do we go from Sunday to Sunday following Jesus? On Friday, I was in a, a training class to, for, for chaplains in law enforcement. And we started the class and someone interrupted and said, hey, nine officers were wounded uh, in, in Arizona. Like, oh, wow, that's, that's tragic. They responded to, an, to a call involving a gunshot wound and, a, and an infant, and they're trying to rescue and protect the infant, and, and so they, they were ambushed. 
So we prayed for them, and, and I was like, man, what is going on? All of this globally and locally and, 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 and this tragedy unfolding in Arizona. Let's pray for those families. Thankfully, the officers uh, are doing okay, and, and they're, they're expected to recover. But why? Like, that's just senseless. Why would someone set an ambush for police officers who are trying to do their job and feeling angry and frustrated? Like, why can't we fight? And, and why aren't we seeing more victories, God? It seems like the darkness and evil is all around us and closing in, and it's just welling up. And it's like, man, we're, we're so quick to fight physically or, or to try and go to the polling and, and fight politically with our votes instead of going, you know what, the true battle we need to pray for Biden and pray for Trudeau and pray for the world in darkness because they're in the hands of the evil one and we know the battle lies in the spiritual realm, not the physical. We know these officers are physically responding to a physical call, but there's a spiritual battle wage raging and we forget. Later in the week, weekend, yesterday I read another headline that said that same Friday that that ambush took place, the satanic church held their biggest conference on Friday. I don't think that's a coincidence. I, I know, we know as we read scripture, the spiritual battle's taking place. And we, we have to focus on Jesus, our victor, our savior. We have to remind ourselves there's tragedies happening. And we pray for those families affected, but the fight isn't physically, it's spiritually. As we look at our bank accounts or our health and we go, man, stuff's happening there's a spiritual attack, and there's a test. Is it, is it a physical? Are we, are we trusting in our kingdom, or is it God's? And are we saying, God, what are you doing here and now, and what's the, the purpose that you have for me, and how can I have your peace, and who do I need to share that peace with? And so as we see Luke looking at his disciple Theophilus, in Luke 1, he's, he, he, he starts out and says, look, there's a lot of people that have written, written amazing gospels, Matthew, Mark and John. And so he says in, in chapter one, verse one, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So he's like, these guys were eyewitnesses and they delivered them. John and Matthew, Mark was John Mark. Uh, he went with Paul and so he compiled eyewitness accounts in his gospel, and so Luke's like, these are legit. A lot of other stuff isn't legit, but thankfully these guys did a good job, delivered them to us that actually saw and did, or accounted eyewitness accounts like John Mark's gospel. It seemed good to me also having followed all the things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So as we titled Luke, our series, The Evidence is Endless. There's so much you could write about Jesus, and John says in his gospel that the, the, the world could not contain all of the works he did. And so John wrote, and Matthew wrote, and Mark wrote, and Luke's saying, look, as a historian and a physician, I want to write my detailed account. And why we're going through this is because Matthew wants to convince you that Jesus is the king of the Jews. So if you're Jewish, you're eating up Matthew, because you get all this Jewish history and support of Jesus but for Gentiles, you're like, oh, that's a ton of history and learning before I can even, it's like I need an introductory course before Matthew to understand why he's writing that way. Mark has one main sermon, Jesus is the ultimate servant. So you get that, especially if you're in the hospitality industry. You're like, man, Jesus is moving quick. He's serving people. He's saving people, serving, saving. He's doing his work. It's quick, 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 boom, death, resurrection. There's, there's Mark, like super quick, compacted. And you get that. 
And then John wants to tell everybody that Jesus is God in human body, come to live with us. And so you get a lot of Jewish just snapshots, a lot of thoughts that are, hey, this, I'm the bread of life. And it's this cool connection of Old Testament and Jesus fulfilling that. But again, unless you know the old, there's a lot of, of, of connection that's being made. And you're like, how did that, how did he reach back here? I never read that story before. And Luke wants to convince you that Jesus is the son of man. Luke wants you to understand that Jesus is the Son of Man, and he focuses on this universal gospel call that Jesus came to save all. He, he's focusing on this reality that Jesus became man so that all men could be saved and might be saved through believing in Jesus. That's why the angel showed up to the shepherds and said, good tidings of great joy shall be to all peoples, Luke 2.10. Not just a group, not a ethnic group, not a political party, not a, a color, not a if un, you fill in the blank, or pro, you fill in the blank, but all people. And the good news was for everybody. And so Dr. Luke, he's only mentioned three times. He's very humble, trying to keep himself out of the limelight. I'm just reporting what I know, what I've heard, and, and been accounted with eyewitness accounts, and we're going to make this clear. He wrote Acts, and he traveled with Paul. So who knows, maybe Paul's writing all these letters in prison and then there's Luke with him who's like, man, I got Theophilus, I'm going to write to him for the church to understand here's all the events that took place, all of the evidence. We want another account to support the fact that Jesus is the Son of Man. He's fully God, fully man. And he writes from a Gentile perspective, most likely they think he was a Gentile. So being a Gentile, a trained physician, he's writing to Theophilus, a lover of God is what that word, that name Theophilus means, probably a Roman official who trusted Christ and now to be established and rooted and standing in the gospel in his faith. It's possible that Theophilus was a, a seeking truth and a new believer who needed to be reminded and confirmed. And these are the events that took place. And here's the evidence to support your faith. Use your brain. Think about your salvation and how it happened. So, so Luke writes this gospel so that his readers might have an accurate and orderly narrative of the life, ministry, and message of Jesus Christ. Luke had carefully researched his material, interviewing eyewitnesses, listening to those who minister the word, so that Theophilus was written to him through the enlightenment and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and to us, we can see how God is going to grow our faith, strengthen our faith, trust in Jesus, especially with the, the dark backdrop that they were in then and we are today, that we can fix our eyes and refocus and frame our perspective on Jesus and how he has come to bring peace and how we are to live in that peace despite the craziness around us and share that peace. So we see, first thing, when we doubt what we hear God say, God is still faithful. This is amazing. Because as you know, as parents, you're like, hey, go do this. And if your kids doubt what you say, there's probably discipline, right? And then sometimes there's a failure on, on our part to fulfill what we promised. But God is still faithful even though, even though we see that we doubt what we hear God say. God is still faithful on his end of the deal. And we see, number two, faithful servants believe and receive joy from God. As we see Mary and Elizabeth they believe what's told them and they receive it and they receive this joy and they focus on what God's doing rather than how it's going to be done. And then we're going to see at the end the wrap up of Zechariah's prophecy, how 
He prophetically praised and proclaimed as well as Mary's song and how it was this culmination of all the things promised now coming to bear through their sons and and their place and focusing on their purpose and God's plan. So first we see when we doubt what we hear, God say God is still faithful. When we doubt what we hear God say, God is still faithful. This, This priest... Zechariah, it says, in the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. In verse 6, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Uh, I don't know if you have like a little bio on your social media, but having that bio, like, yeah, we're, we're about 60 or 70, and we uh, walk blamelessly. All the commandments, statutes, we're good. Just a priest, my wife, we're good. The problem, though, is they didn't have on their, if you scrolled their profile, family, there's no kids in their pictures. They were barren. They didn't have any kids. It's like, how does this couple who walks with God not have kids? Because in that day, if you didn't have kids, you were in sin. It was a curse. God was mad at you. So how could they, that's why Luke's like, hey, check it out. You can't get any more perfect except for God himself, and they don't have kids, so you think there's something wrong with them. And so Zachariah's doing his his priestly duties, and there was thousands of priests on the outskirts, you know, like Shandon and Creston and, and Parkfield. They'd have these priests in these small outskirts, and then every once in a while, they, they would converge on the Temple Mount and fulfill their priestly duties on the Temple Mount. And that's where we see this take place. While, they were, while he was serving as priest before God in verse 8, when his division was on duty, meaning on the Temple Mount, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by Yahtzee. They rolled some dice, so it says by a lot, but they would just roll dice. It's actually the original form of Yahtzee, was they would roll dice, and, and if you rolled all threes, or all sevens, a biblical number, then, if, then you'd be chosen to go into the temple, and you would, you would pray for the Messiah to come, and for the sins to be forgiven of, of the whole nation of Israel, of your town, and, and knowing that the guy that committed adultery, and you'd pray for him, and pray for the family, you'd offer all these incidents, and prayer, and this whole ritual, and it was, we could spend like months going through all the details of baptism, and dress, and rebaptism and washing, and cleansing, and all the stuff he had to go through just to get into the temple, and they would tie a rope around his leg, because oftentimes you'd mess up, and all the stuff in there, and the guy would die, and you'd have to drag his dead body out, trying to think through how you're going to go tell his wife, I don't know what sin, I don't know what he did wrong in there, but he's, he did something wrong because he's dead. And they drag him because they're not going into the Holy of Holies because they would die too. So it's, it's, a, it's a blessing, but it's also kind of a burden. Like if I mess this up, I'm dead, and then that's going to be awkward. So he's in there. So there's a lot of intensity, and he's like, okay. So he goes in, according to the custom of the priest, chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. In verse 10, the whole multitude of people were praying outside of the hour of incense because they were expecting and waiting this experience where the the priest would offer incense and pray and in response God would speak because God hadn't spoken for 400 years and so they're like yes this is it we got another priest in there we've been waiting man maybe this is the time we're going to hear from the Lord and then they're praying and, and what happens next, we'll see why it's kind of a bummer for them. Because Zechariah was, was troubled, we see in verse 11. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled. And he f- has this fear that falls upon him. And the angel says, don't be afraid. And it's like, man, every time I show up, they freak out. 
just calm down. You're in the Holy of Holies. Why are you freaking out right now? Just, I'm an angel of the Lord, and I'm going to share with you. And so he says this. You'll have, he says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. We see in verse 15, but he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. In verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now, at that point in time, a priest hearing that is like, man, I can't wait to tell Elizabeth this is going to be great. We've been praying, and we just had contentment with that because now we're in our 60s or 70s, and we're advanced in years. And so he says this. You know, he's, he's a gentleman. Maybe Valentine's Day was around the corner. So Zechariah says, look, how, wait a minute, how is this going to happen? I'm old, and he's a gentleman, right? So he says, and my wife is advanced in years. He doesn't say she's old. He just says, hey, she's kind of on the older side, you know, kind of advanced in years, but I'm old. Like, this isn't going to work. I know God knows all things, and I know you're like an angel, so you kind of might know, but angel, let me inform you. As a human, I'm old, and she's advanced in years. This isn't going to work. So Zechariah pushes back here, and then we see, and I like to think Luke being the historian gives a clear picture as he writes this orderly account, he's like, okay, now Gabriel's like, dude, I'm Gabriel. Notice how at the beginning he said an angel appeared? So I think now that Gabriel, the warrior messenger angel who stands next to God's like, all right, you want to throw down, old man? I'm Gabriel, the angel of the Lord. I've come to bring a message to you. You're going to have John. Like, what's your problem? Because of your disbelief, you're going to be silent until these things happen. So John walks out and all the people are praying, getting ready, preparing for the message from the Lord, and John walks out silent. And then John has to finish his duties on the Temple Mount, thinking of how he's going to try and learn sign language to explain to Elizabeth what just happened. And then he goes home, and you know, you know, women, particularly over guys, they want to know all the details. How was it? Hey, how was Frank? I know sometimes you don't get along with Frank. How was working with him? How was this? Hey, did you do the sacrifice wrong or did you blow it this time? How was Yahtzee? Did you win? Did you, because I heard you won. You went to the temple and you didn't say anything. Like, all for nine months. He's silent. Poor Zachariah, but also he got what was coming to him. Should have believed. Should have just been like, sweet. I can't tell, I can't wait to tell my wife. This is going to be great. So we see here, which you've probably noticed, God often speaks to his people when they're busy doing daily tasks. Moses, David, they're watching sheep, boom, God shows up. Gideon in the threshing wheat. Peter and his partners were mending nets and Jesus walks up to him. Hey, what's up? Hey, come follow me. Hey, Zachariah, you're, you're faithfully obeying. I got something for you. I got a purpose for you. Isn't it interesting? He shows up. And this is amazing honor for the priest, and yet he's like, mm, I don't get it. I don't know if how this is going to work. And Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Behold, you're not going to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words. When we doubt what we hear, God say, God is still faithful, though. God is still faithful to do it. He just put a little condition on Zachariah, hey, you need to be quiet and think about what I'm saying and how it's true and what it's going to mean for you. And so we see that Zechariah, 
his prayer at the altar was for the redemption of Israel. Although him and his wife probably were praying for a son or praying for a daughter, but his prayer was for the redemption of Israel, for the Messiah to come. So the angel Gabriel says, look, your prayer has been heard and answered. He's coming and you're going to have a son, John, who's going to prepare the way. Everyone's going to marvel and it's going to be amazing. And instead he doubts, but yet God is faithful. So much of our, our perspective with God is we feel like when we have to surrender, it feels like suffering. When God says, hey, be faithful, be faithful, follow me, serve me. We're like, okay, but when am I going to have a son? When am I going to have a family? When am I going to do the things I want to do? But until we surrender to him and say, okay, God, what, what I'm surrendering, your will, not mine. And then God shows up and says, hey, fulfillment of prophecy. I promised I was going to give a Messiah. And part of that fulfillment is going to be answering a prayer you had how many years ago? And how often do we think, oh, but it's suffer. You have to suffer for the Lord. And it's this amazing picture when, when Abraham takes Isaac up to the altar in obedience, puts Isaac on the altar, offering up the sacrifice of his son, only to have the obedience. God says, okay, you, you, you surrendered your son, and it's not a full, full death sacrifice because he gets up off the altar and walks away as a living sacrifice. And as we put our desires on the altar and say, okay, this is my desire, here you go. And, and sometimes he gives it back and sometimes he doesn't. But we have to see here that Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed ultimately for God's Savior to come and prayed, hey, I'd have a son. And God, for them, God answered both. But for them, they probably thought, man, we're just sacrificing. And it, and it is a little bit of suffering at times when people are pushing on him. Why aren't you, why don't you have a son? Where's your family? And so he goes home. And it's interesting, as it says in verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and for five months she kept herself hidden saying thus the lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people so there was a clear disdain a clear attack from people towards elizabeth and she's like finally lord i've been praying forever and zachariah probably being a guy was like oh i didn't know women were such such jerks to you at the wall like i had no clue they're so mean man i knew kind of but that's amazing that god did this for us god's faithful even when we're faithless to do what he promised when we when we doubt what we hear God say he's still faithful and we see the next when, when Gabriel shows up to Mary similarly it says in verse 26 that Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and so she shows up Gabriel shows up to Mary a virgin who's betrothed to Joseph and and Gabriel shows up and, and says this he came to her and said greetings O favored one the Lord is with you but she was greatly troubled and saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So she's a little confused as well. And the angel's like, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you'll call his name Jesus. He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And as a result, Mary's like, okay... How is this going to happen? Because again, I know you're God. I know you know all things and you're a messenger angel. Let me tell you though, uh, humanly speaking, I'm engaged. I haven't fully been married yet physically. How's this going to happen? Like, are we going to, is this like after Mary and I, or Joseph and I get married or is this before? Like, so she's saying a similar question that Zachariah said, how is this so? But she's more of, hey, I'm following the law. 
And, and according to the law, then do I get married first or when? So she's more clarifying, where Zachariah is like, you're an idiot, get out of here, angel. This isn't gonna happen. Like, this is impossible. And so the angel responds and says, in verse 35, Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, meaning this child is, is, is God. There's not gonna be any sin that's gonna take place. The Son of God Verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. So your relative who can't have kids actually has a kid in her, and it's six months, so you can see it, right? The bump is there. there there's no question. You don't have to wonder if maybe she's been going to, to in and out too much or, or just stuff's happened. I don't know. It's like, for sure, it's, it's she's pregnant, okay? You can go see it. It's great, and, and the amazing thing is God in his sovereignty doesn't just say, hey, Mary has a baby, boom, there's a savior, death, resurrection. It's, it's a family, it's a connect, he cares for individuals and he says, Mary, you're gonna go through so much reproach and disdain, your, your, your relative Elizabeth has already been living with reproach and disdain and pushed out from society. She now has a baby, go hang out with her and, and you can experience what it means to be child, because no one's gonna care for you in your community, your family's gonna shun you, your community's gonna leave you isolated, you need community. So I'm gonna put John, not only a front runner for Jesus, but Elizabeth, the mother of John, as the front runner, caretaker for Mary to go through the process of their position and God's purpose. Isn't that amazing? That even though Zechariah was a little doubtful, God was still faithful and then we see, secondly, these faithful servants believe and receive joy from God. The faithful servants, Mary and Elizabeth, they, they received what was spoken in what Elizabeth said in verse 25. And then Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And it says in verse 41 that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that's John the Baptist, leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's in Elizabeth and John, and he's leaping, tumbling around, freaking out. Jesus is here. Can't wait. So excited. Baby's going nuts. And it's not just because there's too much hot sauce on the burrito that day. It was the Holy Spirit. The John was like, I can't wait. This is awesome. He's freaking out. Like when you read this, so much of it's just on Jesus, which is amazing. And that's where the focus is. But when Jesus shows up, two couples' lives are drastically altered. And in the preparation for Jesus coming, and we see the response of Elizabeth and Mary is like, yes, whatever you want to do, Lord, I'm, do it, let's go. And Mary gets to hang out there, and if you do the math, Mary shows up when Elizabeth is six months pregnant, and she stays for three months, so that's seven, eight, nine. So John's born, Mary's like, sweet, there's John, this is awesome, full term, gets the experience, gets the training, the comfort, and here's the kicker. Everyone saw John. Everyone knew Elizabeth was barren. Everyone sees Mary. And the whole story of the nativity is basically shared in that community. And then where does Mary go? Alone. Like, come on. They're like, hey, Mary, we're going we're gonna to pray for you. We're gonna, that's going to be rough. You and, you and Joe, you figure that out. Man, that's going to be a tough heartbreak for He's going to, what? You tell me no guy was like, Zechariah wasn't like, hey, we should probably figure out some guys to go with Mary and help Joe process this. Like, it's hard enough for me. I know what I heard to believe. They're like, hey, Mary, yep, have fun. See you later. And then the second thing is no one like followed him. Like I would have been like, hey, work, see you later. I'm going to go hang out with Joseph and Mary. There's crazy things going to happen. And in a couple months, we're going to go, they got to go to Bethlehem. Like as she shares her story, no one went with them. 
I always thought there was like this cool little secret inside thing that everyone missed it, but they truly did. Like they had more inside intel from, from, from John the Baptist being born and Mary being there. And they, they, didn't, they didn't go. They just stayed. They're like, I got work on Monday at eight. Have a good one, Mary. We'll pray for you. They missed it too. And so Luke's putting all this evidence in there for Theophilus and for us to see this didn't just happen randomly. There was signs. And are we looking for where God's leading us? And how do we live? How do we, how do we be a faithful servant like Mary and Elizabeth who, who believe and then receive the joy of God, right? They, they were consumed with the Messiah coming. And then when it came, they're like, sweet, this is my purpose. This is my place. I want to share the gospel with the whole world. I want to do big things and share about the big God, but God is working in and through you where you're at. And with all of the hard, challenging, dark things in this world, God's bringing us to a place where we see, as they had the humility to focus on the person God brought to them and how they responded and said, okay, this is my place. I'm gonna raise John. And then through him, he's gonna prepare the people. I'm gonna raise Jesus. And through him, he's gonna be the savior of the people, of the whole world. And we see that this is where John 3.30, John says, he must become greater and I must become less. We see that, that John got that. And we see the example I'm sure he got from Elizabeth, the humble, hey, you're gonna go and prepare the people. You're gonna go in the wilderness until you show up and prepare the people for, for Jesus. And Mary's response in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in my God, in God my Savior. See, it's not a belief of a savior, Jesus is the savior of the world. It's my God, my savior, is Jesus your savior? And are you magnifying him with praise? And it's the saving belief that, that's this trust. I don't have it all figured out, but I'm trusting you and I'm believing that you're gonna do what you say you're gonna do. And there's these, this physical resurrection and the ascension that Jesus did and I'm, I'm trusting that's true and I'm gonna sit in the grace that it doesn't depend on, on your works that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's the gift of God. And as we see it's the gift of God, we see here, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were doing the right things, but they didn't earn John the Baptist, and Mary didn't earn Jesus. It was God had favor and chose them and gave them the gift, and now they're stewarding it to go and share with others. And we see that our joy is from the Lord, not from men, because we see Mary says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. She's saying, look, people are gonna call me blessed, but it's because God chose to bless me. I didn't do anything to earn it, so we shouldn't elevate Mary beyond her position, but honor her position and say, wow, look at what God can do through a humble servant who's willing to be used. And we see in verse 50, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm and he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. So he's saying, look, she's saying proud people have been scattered. In verse 52, he's brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Look, Joe and I, no one knows who we are and now he's exalted us and we're just humbly saying, look, you wanna use me. In verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In verse 55, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So Mary's with Elizabeth, sees this and goes, man, God's helped Israel remember his promise. Helped us see that it's the humble, not the proud and, and rich. God's lifting up and helping and feeding those who are hungry. God's providing the need spiritually and the answer. And so we see when John's born, people are wanting to name John after Zechariah, and Zechariah's like, nope. And then he sign language communicates somehow to Elizabeth, and she's like, no, we should name him John. Everyone's like, yeah, right, who's John in your family? You got to rename him after the dad. And, and it's interesting, finally, Zechariah's mouth opens up, and he proclaims, no, his name will be John. And they get to tell about why his name is John in verse 64. Immediately his mouth opened, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about throughout all the country of Judea. In verse 66, all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. They realized and recognized when the light of Christ lights up your life, your heart will overflow with praise proclaiming his name. They're experiencing a prophetic word, a promise that God hadn't spoken for 400 silent years up until now. And all of a sudden, there's these prophecies and proclamations coming, praising God and bringing about the Savior, but they didn't do anything with it, right? How do you have the peace if you're not actively proclaiming and sharing what we have in Christ? And so we see when we, when we doubt what we hear God say, God is still faithful to use you. And he's going to put you in positions and, and places where you can share the peace you have in Christ with others who don't have that. And we should be like Mary and Elizabeth, like faithful servants who believe and receive the joy from God and share, hey, I've been given this amazing gift, the Savior. You've got to meet him. You've got to understand him. He's going to come and set you free and give you new life. And I'm going to praise God because he's true and he's made me new. And that's where Zechariah shows up and doesn't disappoint when he finally can speak what they were praying for and waiting to hear outside of the temple they heard nine months later when the prophetic praise is proclaimed through the through his prophecy here where he starts out bless the lord god of israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and he talks about how jesus is the the horn of salvation raised up for us out of the servant David. And then he talks about the prophets of old that have spoken. And now there's one final prophet who's going to lay the groundwork and chisel away the hard hearts to get them ready to receive the Savior. And he says in verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. See, again, there's so much political or personal or cultural stuff they could have got into, and they just said, you know what, we're all sinners, and Jesus is coming to forgive the world of sin, and John has this amazing, difficult task to prepare the way for Jesus, and he's prof prof prophetically proclaiming that God's going to get the praise he deserves. God's going to save, and that's how we as believers have peace, knowing that positionally we have peace in Christ. At the same time, if you're like me, this last week, and man, a couple weeks, it's been this angst and anger towards the injustice all over the world and how there's no peace and there's no leader. Everything's confusing. We, we have lockdowns and all these different things, but yet Super Bowl is happening down the street. It's like, wait, nothing makes sense and no one knows what's going on. And that's why we have to go, okay, 
The world's never going to make sense. Nothing's ever going to line up, but Jesus makes sense. So we have to proclaim Jesus and get our salvation helmet, keep that on our head, dwelling on the thoughts of what's true, of what God's done for you. And so that's where Luke's like, hey, Theophilus, meet me here. I know you're a Roman guy. I know the political thing. I know you got this crazy backdrop of mess over here, but Jesus is clean. He's pure and he's peaceful. And that's where he ends right here and says, look, you're going to forgive you of your sins in verse 78 because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high this is a prophetic reminder of what happened and what's taking place is is the world is in darkness in isolation and so he's saying look the the light of those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death in verse 79 to guide our feet into the way of peace Isaiah 26 3 we we spent last season and Christmas focusing on the peace of Christ and how when we are full of peace, it's because our mind is stayed on Christ. God keeps the person in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on Christ. Isaiah 26.3 says, so he's saying when you're in darkness and your mind is distracted and dismayed by anything else, you have to keep your mind focused on Christ, and that's the salvation, the helmet of salvation, that you know you're secured in Christ by grace alone, through faith alone. C.S. Lewis talks about the spiritual warfare, and as he reflected in, in the screw tape letters he wrote, he, he described it this way. He says, there's these junior demons in screw tape. As he sat reading the British Museum, he began to reflect on spiritual questions. Before he could ponder too long, screw tape got him out onto the museum steps and back to real life. So there's this man and he was like, wait a minute, I should think about God and reality and peace. And is Jesus the savior? He's starting to think about these spiritual things and right away the demon got his attention back out onto the streets where there's the buses going and there's the, the, the phone pinging and ringing and all the emails coming in and business and family and the wife calls and hey, did you get the stuff on the way home? He's like, oh yeah, all back to real life and the hustle and bustle and distraction. And Zechariah ends this song with this praise of this imminent rising sun because of the tender mercy of God who brings the sun as the sun, literally Jesus comes as the sun comes and breaks the dawn of darkness where everything's sleeping, everything's spiritually dead and there's no life and there's no noise and there's no music and harmony and, and they're stranded in utter darkness, lonely in the, in the wilderness and as as the sun begins to break and we see this picture of all of the lethargy and oppressive darkness disappear and hopelessness fade away as the light comes and it says in Isaiah, people walking in darkness, living in the land of the shadow of death. And so we see the light of Christ guides our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. It's that rising sun, that image that we see Malachi 4.2 say, but for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. If you've ever seen a calf pent up and the moment it gets free, it just jumps and is like, yeah, this is what I'm to do. I'm going to run free. And you see that life and you're like, that's what it was meant to do. It's going to go do that. It's going to frolic like a, a horse that's tied up and finally gets to run free and it, it does what it was created to do. And that's where Jesus is the morning star who rises in our hearts. Second Peter says, John writes in Revelation, he's the root of the offspring of David and the bright morning star. 
John again says, Jesus said of himself, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus rises in our lives, gone are the shadows of death. We pass from death to life. And so we have this perfect peace as our minds are stayed on Christ. And we still long for that eternal peace and that proverbial peace that everyone will experience. But only those who believe in Jesus and the new heaven and the new earth will enjoy and so we want all people, as God does, to know that. And so as possessors of this perfect peace, that yeah, there's going to be doubts, but we know that when we hear what God says, God is still faithful, and so we can lean on that and trust him, and that we can be faithful servants who believe, and as we believe and trust God and sit in that grace, we can be joy-filled. Even though the world's falling apart around us, we have the peace that Christ saved us. And lastly, that results in expressing that peace, prophetically pro proclaiming that praise that, hey, Jesus is alive and I have that peace and he's come. And that's where Luke starts this message, reminding us this miraculous birth, not of just Jesus, but of John the Baptist to prepare the way so that Jesus comes. And it's a mess and it's heartache and it's hurtful from the beginning with, with Zachariah and Elizabeth and, and Joseph and Mary. And then through his ministry, it doesn't get any easier. And so everyone's like, wait, should have I left fishing? Because at least fishing, no one wanted to kill me, like if I didn't catch fish. But following you, everyone's getting more and more agitated and wants to kill you. And so Jesus says this right before he dies. He says, look, the peace I leave with you, it's my peace I'm going to give you. And I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. And then he says, I've overcome the world. But here's the reality as we look at what's next, Luke starts with getting our minds and seeing the example set by Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even though they weren't perfect, God was perfect and remained faithful. Even though they doubted what they heard. Even though the, the servants with, with Elizabeth and Mary, they gave us a great example to believe and receive the joy from God. And lastly, we see Zechariah, when he could speak again, he prophetically praised as he proclaimed Jesus' name. And I want to, you know, as we close, remind us that these are the three responses we see through the experience of Jesus coming. And when Christ came and lit up your life, your heart should have overflowed with praise proclaiming his name. And that's where the enemy wants to get your mind discouraged and distraught and, and remove that peace. And as we possess that peace of Christ, then the light of Christ will fill our heart again and will overflow with that praise proclaiming his name and making sure that the Spirit is controlling our mind and our hearts and our actions. And so as we, we reflect that, man, the sunrise of Christ is what we needed because we were in darkness and God's wrath was going to be poured out upon us until Jesus came. And it was that prayer that they were praying and Zechariah was like, oh yeah, that's what I'm doing. We go through the motions, especially Sunday after Sunday. We forget throughout the week all the little side things that distract or get us angry. And we need to go, hey, I'm in perfect peace as long as my mind is stayed on you, God. And knowing that your wrath was on your son and no longer on me. And wow, I'm going to praise your name and proclaim to the world that I have this peace that they too can have. And so as we take communion, I want to encourage you to... Remind yourself that when Christ lit up your life, your heart will overflow with praise, proclaiming his name. Who needs to hear you proclaim 
and praise his name. And, and maybe it's you. Maybe you need to be like, wow, God saved me and chose me and I'm a child of the king. I have perfect peace. I need to keep my mind stayed on him. And then the next question is maybe who is that person that God's put in your life that you need to share and you need to pray for and love because they need that care and they need that peace today. I'll come up and, and close this in a minute.